There have been a lot of great hockey players over the years. Legends, both on and off the ice. The Overtime Podcast checks in with some of hockey's biggest names and talks about what these great players are up to today. Welcome to the Overtime Podcast. Here's your host, Gino Retta. Hey, hockey fans. Welcome to the 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast. I'm your host, Gino Retta. You know, I've spent over four decades working in the game of hockey, fortunate enough to beat some of the legends of the game, saw them come into the league, watch them shine in the game, and now they've moved on to life after hockey. The 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast gives us a chance to catch up, tell some great stories, relive some great memories, and hear what they're up to today. Today's NHL legend, one of the highest scoring Swedes in NHL history, the longest serving captain in Canucks franchise history, the record holder for most goals in a single world junior championship, Marcus Naslin. Marcus, great to see you again, my friend. How are you doing? I'm doing really well, thanks, Gino. Good to see you. Here are a couple of hot, tasty ways to crush the crave. Download the 7Now delivery app, and 7-Eleven will have your hot and delicious crave crushers to your door almost before you can say, fuel me up, Sev. You know the crave I'm talking about. The one that's whispering wings or pizza in your ear right now. For just $11.99, order a large hot-from-the-oven-in-minutes pepperoni pizza. Add a 2-liter Coke or Pepsi for $2. 7-Eleven is your go-to for fast delivery of Slurpee, groceries, essentials, meals, snack and treats 24-7. Where are you right now? Where am I catching you? I know you're a bit of a, you've been a world traveler since you retired. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that, but I'm I'm actually in Miami right now um, for holidays. So got my whole family with me, uh, which is uh, rare these days. But but it's uh, it's nice to to be uh, on this side of the Atlantic again. But I'm assuming your home base now is back in Sweden. Yeah, that's correct. So uh, I moved back uh, right after my last year in New York. So I moved back in uh, 2009. So it's it's 14 years now. Time flies. Yeah. Are you back in Örnsköldvik, your uh, your town in Sweden? Is that where you're back now? Yeah, yeah. Moved back there, and uh, the team from from the town is is Modo, a well known yeah. team in in the hockey world. And yeah, so I moved back there, and I actually played half a season when I moved back, and then then I stepped into a management role right after retiring. Are you still in management right now? Are you still with involved with Moto? I mean, that's a world famous hockey team. People know that team. Yeah, yeah. No, I I uh, I worked for about three and a half years, and after yeah. that, I felt that I, I wanted to do something different. Uh, so I've been uh, I've actually been involved in in real estate development uh, the last eight or nine years. So it's been wow. It's, it's been fun to do something different and something outside of hockey. That's awesome. All right, so I want to talk to you about your hometown. Like Ernsholvik, Sweden, a population of about 32,000 people, and yet it's produced yourself, Peter Forsberg, Victor Hedman, the Sedin twins, some all-time great hockey legends. Statistically speaking, it's crazy that that's happening. How do you explain it? Is it something in the water? What's Why? Why so much great talent internationally out of a small city? Yeah, I think it's it's the uh, hockey tradition from... from, uh... From being a kid growing up there, watching the generation ahead of us with, with um, Anders Hedberg and, and Thomas Gradin and and Lars Lindgren and, and those guys coming through the the motor system and and uh, making it over to North America. So it, it gave 
my generation with Peter and myself and, and a bunch of other guys, Nicholas Sandstrom and uh, um, a, a lot of the, uh, the guys born in the early to mid 70s, uh, I hope to actually have a chance to play in the NHL. And after that, we've, like you said, we've had the twins come and to, Tobias Enstrom and, and Victor Hedman. And, and now with the next generation, the Linus Olmark and Victor Olofsson. So there's more guys coming through the system, which is nice to see. It's unbelievable. I, I want to take you back to, like, we all know you. I mean, we know you finished your career with the Rangers. We know you started your career with the Pittsburgh Penguins, even played a little with, with Mario Lemieux on a line with him. But we all remember you as the captain of the Canucks the longest standing captain of the Vancouver Canucks. And there's an interesting hook there because you mentioned Thomas Gredin. Uh, here's a guy who was at one point, the all-time leading scorer for the Vancouver Canucks led them to the Stanley cup back in 1982. And he had an impact on you. Tell us about that. Yeah. Talking about a small world. When I grew up um, in, in Nurshusvik and, and was about, I'd say six or seven or eight, maybe my, uh, Regular babysitter was sick somehow, and um, and in steps Elsie Gradine, Thomas' mom. So she <laughs> looked after me for for a while there, and, and she knew or she saw that I'd, I'd like hockey. So she would tell me stories about Thomas and and that he played over in in uh, Canada for a team called Vancouver, um, which was, I mean, I didn't we didn't have really TV where you could see um, a lot of the, what was going on over in the NHL uh, at that time. But, but it, it, I ended up following Thomas, obviously from, I got a, an autograph photo from him, wishing me good luck with my career when That's I was awesome. seven, seven or eight. And then he, he was instrumental in, in trying to get that trade going for me to, to go from Pittsburgh to Vancouver. And then, uh, him working for the organization for all those years. It's its quite unique. It's unbelievable. I mean, statistically, it's crazy. We're in conversation with Marcus Nasland, uh, one of the all-time great Vancouver Canucks. This is 7-11 Overtime Podcast. I'm your host, Gino Retta. I want to talk a little bit about your relationship with Peter Forsberg. Talk about great guys coming. He also came from your town. Uh, you guys were actually not only in the small, same small town. You were born 10 days apart and knew each other pretty well. I guess you went to high school together, and you even had summer jobs together. Is that right? Yeah, that's true. You've done good <laughs> digging here. <laughs> yeah, we did work together at a summer job. Her or his his dad and my mom worked at the, the same electrician company. Um, so we, we got a chance to work together in the summers when we were maybe 13, 14, 15. And got to know each other. I played from, for a, a, another team, not for the Moto team. Peter grew up playing for the Moto team right from day one. But I, I joined Moto when I was 16. So we were playing and battling against each other all the way up. Uh, and it was nice to to finally join his team and, and have him as a sentiment. So it's uh, uh, it's been great for me, obviously, having a chance to play with Peter at the start of my career, but also... I mean, watching him and and him coming over and turning into a, a superstar in in the NHL uh, and opening a lot of doors for for a lot of us. So uh, it's it's funny now we uh, we're we're actually we we didn't really keep in touch a whole lot because of the rivalry between the Avalanche and, and the Canucks throughout <laughs> those years. But but post retirement, it's been 
it's been fun. So I've been down visiting him. He lives in, in Switzerland and we, uh, we're part owners in a, in a restaurant together now in, in Ershusvik as well. The relationship between you guys is just so awesome. And your personalities are somewhat similar in that you're both pretty quiet guys, despite all that you guys accomplished internationally. And you're both so committed to Sweden and both such a big part of the international success of Sweden. There was a time, I remember, you got drafted in 1991, uh, 16th overall by the Pens. And a lot of times we think here in North America, we think that guys are just really, really anxious to get over here. The second you get drafted, boom, you want to go play CHL, come out here and play here. But that wasn't the case for you. Even after you got drafted, you stayed back and played a couple of years, a couple of very successful years. You played for the men's in the Swedish league at 15 years old. You had back-to-back junior titles with at Moto with, with Peter Forsberg. You decided to stay home for a couple more years. Why? Why was that? Give me, give me a, a mindset of, of what it meant for you to stay at home and play, as opposed to come to North America when you had the earlier opportunity. I think my generation, we, a lot of us looked at it as you wanted to represent Sweden at the World yeah. Championship level prior to 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 moving over to North America and, and trying that out. So that was a goal of mine as well, and I, I barely made the team the year prior but then uh, Michael Anderson came back when they got knocked out in the playoffs and I had to leave as the last guy uh, so in 92 I, I made the, the men's national team and I played that world championship we lost to the Russians in the finals but but um, I, I decided it was time for me to try something new so I uh, I ended up signing with, with Pittsburgh yeah but the 19 I, I want to you know, reflect back on with me with one of the great performances I've ever seen at the World Junior Hockey Championship, the 1993 World Juniors. You had 13 goals in that World Junior, and it still stands as a record. Yourself and Forsberg, uh, you played with Nicholas Sundstrom, right? Sundstrom was also yeah. on your line. All you guys yeah. from that hometown, you guys ended up winning the silver. Forsberg had 31 points. <laughs> you had 24 yeah. points between the yeah. two of you guys. That's an insane number. What was that experience like for you guys? Oh, it was definitely a, a fun memory, but but it was also uh, something you look back at and and you wish you'd you'd beaten the Canadians because it was it was a it was just a round robin tournament uh, at that time, uh, yeah. and uh, we ended up losing one game, uh, lost six five to to Canada, which was. Uh, really tough loss for us because we we thought that we were the best team in the, in the tournament. But uh, it's a matter of, of finding ways to win uh, every game, uh, especially back then. So um, good memories, obviously, but uh, tough that we couldn't. It was in Sweden as well, and it was really, I think it it opened up the, the interest for World Juniors in in Sweden. Now you got lots of. Uh, people being excited about watching the world juniors every year. But back then it wasn't that exciting, but we had sold out arenas and we had a lot of TV coverage as well. So it was, it was, um, it was groundbreaking that way. What was it like for yourself in Forsberg at home during this era? Cause I could imagine you guys would have been like freaking rock stars at that point. You couldn't have gone anywhere, right? Yeah. <laughs> No, hockey is just like in Canada. Hockey is big in Sweden, and they uh, and we played we uh, played senior hockey for Moto from maybe seventeen, eighteen, and so yeah. so we we were uh, 
we'd been around a little bit. Peter had already won the world championships with the men's team in in uh, the Czech Republic, I think it was, or yeah, the, the year yeah. before. Um, so uh, yeah, we people knew of us, and and there was obviously pressure for us to to deliver uh, too, and that's why I'm saying it, it was difficult to to see that we only ended up winning the silver. Yeah, that was tough. We're in conversation with Marcus Naslin, one of the greatest Swedes of all time. Um, this is the Seven Eleven Overtime Podcast. I'm your host, Gina Retta. So, Marcus, let me take you then. So now you you you've won a couple of silver medals at the World Junior. You played at the Men's World Championship. You played the Men's Seniors in Sweden. You decide you're going to make the transition to the NHL. Now, the Pens have drafted you 16th overall. Uh, it was a bit of a slow start for you making that transition. You weren't getting probably all the ice and opportunity you wanted. You got sent up and down a few times. That must have been really, really difficult for you in the early part. But then in the start of your third season, you just rock it. Part of that is the fact that you're playing with Mario Lemieux. You had 36 points in the yeah, first 29 games that season. What was that like hooking up with Mario in year three? Oh. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things where, where I look back at now and, and – uh, cherish just having the chance to play uh on the same team but but not only that playing on the same line with mario was uh unreal and i idolized him growing up so i was in awe of him um but but that whole experience in, in pittsburgh yeah it was it was difficult um but i think i got a, a fair chance initially i played with with ron francis and joey mullen uh, so that's a decent line with yeah. two hall of famers i mean Half our team were Hall of Famers or ended yeah. up being Hall of Famers. So it was a, it was a unique group there. Uh, but I, I learned a lot, even though it was difficult years for me. I learned a lot just watching those guys and, and uh, knowing w- what it took to to be a professional. And um, also- you had a special relationship with Ronnie Francis, where he had a conversation and pulled you aside uh, and spoke to you about how to go out there and start enjoying yourself. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, Ronnie was great. Uh, Ronnie was rooming with Alf Samuelson, who's uh, still is a good friend of his. Uh, but when Alfie got traded to New York my last year, I got, got the chance to room with Ronnie. So he uh, he really mentored me and, and he uh, had a calming uh, effect on me. And he's such a classy and, and, and wise man too. So yeah. he... Uh, that's true. He he told me to just take a deep breath and and relax and and uh, he he uh, he helped me a lot, not being so tense and not putting so much pressure on myself. So I I, uh, I owe Ronnie a lot. Yeah, and then came the turning point in March of 1996. You get traded to the Vancouver Canucks, and I almost want to say, and then the rest is history because that's really where where things really started to turn around with you. So you finished up the the ninety six season with the Canucks and then resigned with them as a UFA. Um, not, I guess, the the best of starts when when Mike Keenan came in because Mike Keenan. It's interesting because week after week, I got to tell you the number of times I've had special guests like yourself on the show when people go, yeah, and then Mike Keenan came in and took over the team and that made things awkward. Yeah, and Mike wanted me to change my style and that made things awkward. We understand Iron Mike. He's got his own principles and he was a winning coach, but sometimes things did just didn't gel with, with a style of a person's player. What was that? What was that like with you when iron Mike comes in there? 
No, it, it, it was tense because we, we didn't have a, a general manager either. So yeah. there was a lot. And the team was struggling. I, I think it would have been a different relationship if we were, would be winning because uh, Mike hated losing. Uh, yeah. So that, that made it even more tense. Uh, but in all fairness, he, he was tough on me initially too. And, and I probably deserved uh, quite a bit of that. Uh, I, I needed to to mature and have a thicker skin and, and being able to, to uh, accept being challenged in different ways. But at the end of uh, the time there, he, he ended up giving me an assistant captain role and, mm -hmm. and I got ice time. So I think somehow he, uh, he turned a corner or, or I turned a corner. Um, maybe he, he maybe pushed me um to, to mature in, in many ways. And, and uh, when he saw I did, then he gave me more responsibility. Yeah. You, you talked about having an opportunity to play with and, and be teammates with hockey hall of famers. You were, I, I talked about the fact you're the longest serving captain in Vancouver Canucks history. You took the C over from a guy who mentored you. Who's one of the great leaders of all time in NHL history. As a matter of fact, there's the Mark Messi leadership award now handed out yeah. annually. What did you learn from Mess, and how important were the things that he taught you before he ended up leaving to go on to New York and leaving the captaincy for you? Uh, well, uh, there's a lot of things that, that Mess taught me and and my teammates, but he uh, the one thing that stands out for me is how much he cared for the team and how how hard he worked to to uh, to get the team to to gel together. Um, and, and also how professional he was, whether he if he might have had a slump or not, you couldn't tell. He 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 was always team first and um, very classy individual that that uh, helped me a lot too. And, and I got the chance to play with him and, and watch him daily. And even though he was getting a little bit older, he was still a, a world class player. I thought. So now there's a change of the guard because when Mess is there, McGillney's there, Pavel Bure, uh, it was a whole different group. And now you got this young core that you're captaining. Uh, I mean, Bertuzzi, Brendan Morrison, uh, Jovo, uh, Jovanovsky, uh, Matthias Olin. What was that like when it suddenly became your the your core group? I don't want to just say you personally, but your core group then got to take over things and say, Let's make this our team. Let's move forward and 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 change the face of this organization and franchise. It was definitely uh, a little bit of added pressure. Uh, we we all had to step into bigger roles, and uh, and I I said right from from the get go that I'm going to need a lot of help here from from the other guys. There was, I mean, we were young, but we had been in the league for five, six, seven years, and and we're at the age where we needed to take this to mm -hmm. the next step, and we had it. A few rough years where we missed the playoffs, and it, it was a good opportunity for us to show that we could we could get better and, and challenge the the better teams in in the West, uh, which I think we did. Unfortunately, we uh, we, we had a, a steady climb there, but um, for some reason we we just couldn't put it together when it all counted, uh, and that that haunts me to this day because I think we we had uh, we had a good thing going. One of the great things, as a matter of fact, at that point, one of the greatest lines for that particular era at that moment, you were part of the West Coast Express. For our audience who maybe doesn't remember that line, tell them about it. 
Yeah, uh, I got got the chance to play with um, Todd. I forgot what we uh, season we started to play together with Andrew Castles as initially as our center man. Yeah. Andrew being a, a excellent playmaker and, and a great great uh, player overall, but so we we um, started to find some chemistry and and uh, I think we played together for almost a year, but then. Then they, uh, Alex McGillney got traded to to New Jersey and uh, for Brendan Morrison, and mm-hmm. Brendan Morrison eventually got a, a chance to to step into that role uh, as a sentiment and, and did an outstanding job. So we, uh, I don't know how many years we played together, but probably four, three, four, uh, five, maybe. And uh, it was it was the most fun years I've had playing hockey, playing no with Brendan and Tevin. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Because it was, we, we complimented each other so well, and Brendan did a lot of the dirty work and, and the defensive role and covering up for me and, and Todd. And he, he would give me the give me the puck, and then I would give it to Todd, and Todd, Todd usually carried it. And and being the big man that that he is, and and with the hands and, and skill and vision that he had, he he um, he was a key factor, obviously, for for our success. Did Morrison? I, I gotta believe that Morrison, because he used to say it to us. He just said, "Sometimes I feel like I'm freaking invisible out there. I go out <laughs> yeah. there, dig the puck out of the corner, bust my ass to get the puck to these guys, but I never get it back." Did he ever say that to you? It did. It did a lot of times, and. Again, I can't say enough good things about Brendan and, and how he unselfishly did a lot of the dirty work for our line and, and uh, never complained. But he uh, is one of the most underrated players that I've ever come across. And and the other thing was we had so much fun outside of the rink. We we got along so well and we still keep in touch and, and um, don't get to, to see each other as often as we want, but we still have that, that close friendship. Here are a couple of hot, tasty ways to crush the Crave. Download the 7Now delivery app, and 7-Eleven will have your hot and delicious Crave crushers to your door almost before you can say, Fuel me up, Sev. You know the Crave I'm talking about. The one that's whispering wings or pizza in your ear right now. For just $11.99, order a large, hot-from-the-oven-in-minutes pepperoni pizza. Add a 2-liter Coke or Pepsi for $2.00. 7-Eleven is your go-to for fast delivery of Slurpee, groceries, essentials, meals, snack and treats, 24-7. You guys did some amazing stuff. Naslin, Bertuzzi, Morrison line. You guys, at one point, I remember there was a streak. We had eight goals, 21 points, and just 14 games. Uh, and then you had a career best in the 03-02-03 season, I think. You had a career best, 48 goals, 104 points, and you finished second in the Art Ross that year. And in the uh, in the Richard as well for for goals mm-hmm. that year, was that the year where you where you finally felt okay? I'm finally able to accomplish the things I know I've always known I could do, and now I'm finally starting to to be able to taste that. Yeah, I, I think even the year before we we had a lot of success uh, as a line, but that year it it all came together, and uh, we uh, and you got to remember too at that. Point, there was a low scoring scoring area uh, era, and uh, we found ways to to create chances, even though there were uh, tight games and a lot of clutching and grabbing. And um, so it was it was a lot of fun because we we felt that we would get chances 
really every shift, every time we we stepped on the edge, we we knew that we would have uh, possibilities of scoring, and a lot of times we did. And we had a few few setup plays on the power play that worked that year really well. Where Todd would push off in the front and got a pass from down low from Brendan, and yeah. uh, so a lot of things clicked that that season for us. Given what you went through with the organization and and the rises and the, the tumultuous stuff. How closely do you watch what's going on right now with Elias Pettersson? And uh, th- there's a lot of great talent on that Vancouver Canucks team, but it just it just doesn't seem to be clicking for them right now. How closely are you watching, and what's your take on what's going on? I definitely watch. I, I don't maybe get over as often as I'd like or or see full games, but I I, I keep a track on on the organization and how they do and. Uh, and I feel for both the, the players and the, the staff, but but uh, also the fans. I mean, we got great, passionate fans in Vancouver, and I mean, the team has been around since 1970 and, and still know the Stanley Cups. Um, so I I'm uh, I'm really hoping that they could take this group and and adjust it maybe a little bit and and build something for the future that that's going to end up paying off for a for a championship because I think that. The whole city really deserves that. I want to think back to kind of a, well, not kind of a rough, actually a rough moment for you uh, back in March of 2001. And it actually ended up helping to change the rule where there's the the races for pucks against the boards and the protecting players. Just for those who don't remember, uh, you were having an amazing year, career year. Uh, 41 goals, 75 points in the first 72 games that year. You got hit by Jay McKee and Rhett Warner while you were chasing a puck, um, and and it broke your leg, broke your leg in two different places. What what do you remember of that time? It was really the first significant injury I'd had, um, and it, yeah, it, it's probably good that they changed the, the icing rule, but. I didn't think there, there wasn't anything dirty with with that incident itself. Uh, it was unfortunate. I got I got my foot caught in a rut too, and I put all my weight on on the leg, so it, it cracked. But uh, it was difficult, and uh, it was also. I mean, I had to put a, a titanium rod and screws in my leg, which I still have. But uh, at that time, you never know how you're going to uh, recover from that, and that was that was the. The toughest part, I think, mentally is, is not knowing if I'm ever going to be 100% again. Uh, at this, the year before, there's a famous uh, Swedish soccer player named Henrik Larsson that played for Manchester United and and uh, Barcelona and a bunch of... Uh, he played in, in Scotland for a long time, but he, he was uh, a world-class soccer player and he broke his leg the, the year prior. Um, so... And, and he made a recovery. So I, I looked at him and seen that it's possible to to get back to a top level, even with a, a big uh, injury like that. So um, luckily, I, I, I felt that I recovered to 100% also and, and was able to play the next season. And not just play. <laughs> you you had another phenomenal year. You had 40 goals and 90 points, and you finished second in the Art Ross to Jerome McGinley. Uh that must have been so encouraging for you because it it could have scared the heck out of you thinking, am I ever going to be okay here? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I did have some sleepless nights for sure. But uh, I think 
the the body itself is it, 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 fascinating too because I, I walked with a limp the whole even though I felt injury free and I was working on and stuff I still had the limp and I'm like is there something wrong with me I, I I'm limping still uh, and then one day it just disappeared so I, I don't know if it's the body protecting itself somehow till it's fully healed but um, yeah it was it was uh, it was great to see that I could come back and. And trust that everything works and i mean it's that mental barrier that you had to, to get over initially too and, and but I, I felt comfortable fairly quickly and you came back and you had three straight 40 or more goal years uh, led the team in vancouver and scoring seven different times and you continued to build the legend that was marcus naslin with the vancouver canucks organization we're in conversation with marcus naslin this is the 7-eleven overtime podcast i'm your host gino retta something i thought was kind of cool about you marcus was the fact you're you're old school you don't like new things you don't like to change things you are one of the last holdouts with the wooden stick and the leather skates how why was that so important to you to stick what was working for you and just didn't want to give it up no, I, I don't know. I, I mean, in hindsight, I ended up changing to a, a composite stick my last year, and I, but I never gave it the time because I felt that uh, I think it was more the blade than anything. When you received a pass, you 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 don't have a lot of time to settle it, settle the puck down, and and I wanted it to to uh, lay flat on my stick, and I found that without the wooden blade, uh, it was difficult. So I, I never. Uh, and plus, I didn't have a slap shot either, so I, didn't, I never got. <laughs> you did to have a great wrist shot, it. though. Well, I, I tried to to use my wrist shot instead. So, but uh, no, I, for some reason, I just stuck with with, with what I felt comfortable. Uh, and I remember I, I used Bauer skates my whole career. And the last, I think it was the last year, they said uh, because they they made them look like a newer model, even though they're really heavy and, and stiff and they they told me we're running out of material the old material now so you got to change <laughs> so yeah but but i think i had enough skates in the back that i did got me through the career that's hilarious that is yeah. you outlasted the leather skate that's insane <laughs> yeah i'm doing yeah one of the great pieces of video, you talked about the fact that, you know, uh, initially in the early part of your career, or before you started, there wasn't a lot of TV of the NHL back home. That obviously changed dramatically with so many incredibly successful Swedes that made the jump up um, and accomplished all the stuff you did. But probably one of the biggest pieces of videos that you got probably got commented on, and I want to hear about you, the kind of reaction you got this, was in 2002, an opening face-off with Queen Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. at a ceremonial face-off what was that entire experience like what i mean what kind of security do you have to go through and when you're meeting the queen at center ice yeah yeah that was a big deal i didn't realize how, how big of a deal that, that that was coming into to that game but we yeah we had a we had to go through a whole thing prior to the game and and we were told we couldn't skate straight towards her and we couldn't uh, say anything to her um, we would just like a rookie only speak when you're spoken to so um but that was neat neat to be part of it and and uh, they had obviously the, the um both members from the female and the men's uh, olympic gold team from canada there as well as the great one was there and so it made made for a, a wonderful picture, which I still have uh, back home. 
So she drops the puck. You you pick the puck up and you hand it to her the way you're supposed to because you're the captain. And then she said something to you, but you weren't mic'd up, so none of us know. What did she <laughs> say to you at that point? No, she said that um, the last oh, the last game she went to was in I don't know 1958 in, in Toronto or something like that. So it was a, a big leap from from the last game, but but it was kind of cute. She uh, she remembered being at a hockey game before though. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, you talked about your relationship with Peter Forsberg, and I know the way you two feel about each other because I've spoken to both of you about it. Had a great opportunity to be there when Peter was inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame, which was amazing, and I'm sure that was amazingly received well back. Um, you got to play together in junior, but obviously you didn't get to play in the NHL together. But you did get a special moment together on the line in 2003 at the all-star game. What was that experience like for you? Yeah, that was neat. Uh, it was me, him and, and Todd on a line. Uh, I don't think we had great success in the, in the actual game, but it's it was an all-star game. game. Who cares? You got yeah, to play with yeah, him. No, yeah, no, no, it was wonderful. And uh, I mean, just watching Peter year after year, what he did and, and how he, he, uh, he changed the perception with many others too. The perception of, of Swedish hockey players too, just how, how physical he played. And um, that, that in hindsight, that that's the one thing I, I would have liked to have a chance to is, is to play with Peter uh, for an NHL season. And I actually tried to get him to sign with with Vancouver after the uh, the lockout in '05, but with the uh, with the rivalry we had with with Colorado, he, he just couldn't he couldn't do that. Um, and then my last, or uh, and then oh four oh five that lockout season two, I, yeah. I came back in January and he he had played the full year. And first game back, uh, he, he breaks his hand and uh, um, and then we we actually played my last year half year I should say in Moto. Uh, we got we got a chance to play together uh, for a little bit. He, he I think he broke his rib there, so he, he got injured lots and with his foot and stuff uh, at the tail end. But it was neat because my comeback. Uh, he had played a few games prior, but and Nicholas Sandstrom was on the team, so the opening lineup was the the old world junior line. I don't know twenty twenty yeah almost twenty years later. Uh, so the, the the building was buzzing. Which is amazing. And, and, and you accomplished something in 03, which is amazing. I mean, the heart trophy is spectacular. It's fantastic. The heart's great. It's, you know, but the Lester Pearson is voted on by your peers. That's when the players decide who the best player in the game is. And in 2003, you got named the Lester Pearson award winner. The first Swede that that ever happened to you. What was that like? to hear that and to know that your peers respected you the way they did and you know, knowing the impression you were going to make back home in receiving that honor. Yeah, it was definitely maybe the highlight of my career. Very humbling. Uh, I didn't expect it at all. It was myself and, and Joe Thornton and Peter being the three the, the candidates. Uh, but it was, um, yeah, it, it's it's a moment that I never will forget either. Um, and also with with Peter winning the the Art Ross and and the, the competition we had leading up to that, it was um, 
it was neat that we we won a couple of individual awards as well. You retired in 2009, 35 years old. Um, you were second at that point in goal scoring all time Swedish players behind only Matt Sundin. Um, what are your memories like now when you look back on your career and what's it like to kind of reflect back on all you've accomplished? And I mean, obviously in Sweden still, I'm guessing you can't go into, I was going to say in a Starbucks. I'm not sure. Do you have Starbucks in Sweden? Yeah, they do. <laughs> yeah. You can't walk into Starbucks without constantly being recognized. What's it been like for you post-retirement? It's been, it's been good. Actually, I don't think anyone recognizes me anymore. Uh, or they really, give you some space. Uh, maybe, but, but it's been, um, it's been great. Uh, I, uh, I have nothing but, but fond memories from, um, from my career, uh, I would have wanted to to win that championship, no doubt. But I knew I gave it my all. Uh, and the other thing too, I got to leave the, the game on my terms. I had two years, I had uh, a two year contract with with the Rangers, but I felt after my first year that um, I was declining. The last uh, two or three years, I was I was not getting better. I felt and getting you need to have that jump to. To, to get the, the room that you need as an offensive player to make plays and, and get scoring chances. And I felt that I was getting less and less uh, space that way. So it was the right time for me to, um, to say thank you and and, uh, and call it a career. But, but it's been a, a wonderful ride and uh, I'm so blessed. Still enjoying life? Oh, very much so. I'm... I'm uh, yeah, it, it, like I said, hockey is giving me a platform that uh, is unique, and and uh, and and also having the chance to to live in Canada for so many, so many years. It's a wonderful place to live and and, and play. And um, you never know where you end up when you get drafted or when you head over to North America. But I was I was lucky to play some That's of the awesome. best places in the world. That's awesome. Before I let you go, and you've been great with your time, and which is amazing, I want to play five fun facts with you. Each week, we ask our guests five quick questions to give us some insights and maybe some things that didn't come up in our interview. You game for that? You up for that? Yeah. All sure. right. Here we go. Question number one: Who was your hockey idol when you were growing up? Well, I had Wayne as one, obviously. Uh, even though I didn't get to see him more than maybe. Canada Cups and, and tournaments like that, but um, and then I also had uh, two Swedish snipers in Hakan Lube and Mats Naslund that I looked up to. Great choices. Who was your favorite teammate during your career and why? Oh, that's a difficult one. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I I would pick uh, Todd and Brendan just because, it, like I said earlier, that that was the the most fun I had playing hockey, and and uh, and they were a, a big part of that. Who did you hate playing against the most? I hated it playing against Nick Lindstrom just because he would. Uh, it was difficult to play against a tough uh, physical defenseman too. But but Nick just because it, it was so difficult to beat him, he would always give you the gap and and always be in the right place. So he, I found him very difficult to play against. Swedish roots, but you say you loved your time in Canada. What was your favorite music or more favorite Canadian legends? Tragically hip or Swedish greats, ABBA. ABBA, without a doubt. All right. You're still living in Sweden. You got to say that. Your single favorite hockey moment. Oh, that's a tough one. 
I actually I, I played a tournament back home in Sweden where it's called the, the TV puck, where, where they televised a youth tournament for 15-year-olds that I, I ended up watching from when I was six, and our team ended up winning. And that was at that time, that was a huge thing for for all of us in that age group. So that was a big, big moment. This has been a big moment for me, Marcus. It's been a lot of years Michael. since you and I touched base. I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you taking the time, and I'm so glad things are going so well for you. I really, really appreciate it. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, I agree. Thank you, Gina, for having me on. All the best to you, my friend. Thank you. You too. Vancouver Canucks legend Marcus Nasdaq. The Overtime Podcast is proudly presented by 7-Eleven. Before leaving the rink, order your favorite Slurpee, fresh 100% premium Arabica coffee, hot from the oven pizza and wings, pint of ice cream, or even a carton of milk, a dozen eggs, and a loaf of bread from the 7Now app and Team 7-Eleven. We'll have your order ready for pickup 24-7. Hey, if you missed any parts of the show, don't worry. Visit our website at overtimepodcast.ca where you can both listen and subscribe to future shows. 7-Eleven's Overtime Podcast can be found on the iHeartRadio app, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any of your favorite podcast platforms. Until next week, I'm Gino Retta saying so long, hockey fans, and thanks for joining us on the 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast. Here are a couple of hot, tasty ways to crush the crave. Download the 7Now delivery app, and 7-Eleven will have your hot and delicious crave crushers to your door almost before you can say... Fuel me up, Sev. You know the crave I'm talking about. The one that's whispering wings or pizza in your ear right now. For just $11.99, order a large hot-from-the-oven-in-minutes pepperoni pizza. Add a 2-liter Coke or Pepsi for $2. 7-Eleven is your go-to for fast delivery of Slurpee, groceries, essentials, meals, snack and treats 24-7.